1: Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now here is your
2: host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hello, world, and welcome back to the Tech Cat Show. And as always, I have a most fabulous guest today to talk to you about their expertise in their business. And today we have none other than Elisa Kamahart-Page, who is the chief community officer of She Knows Media. And Elisa is very famous in the um, content creation, content marketing space, really one of the first innovators who realized that Content happening online and specifically around the women's vertical and what we have since called mommy bloggers and all sorts of other content around um, women's issues actually um, is very popular, is very monetizable and has all sorts of business implications around it that impact um a lot of the different brands that are selling goods and services to to this demographic and to the general public as well. So let's have a big tech Cat hand for Elisa Kamharpage. Alright. The Tech Cat audience is a very emotional audience out there. So <laughs> 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 welcome Elisa. So tell us about your, your current role at She Knows Media, and give us a little bit of a background, too, because um, you really were one of the first um, women, along with your colleagues at BlogHer, to sort of say, this is a real thing happening with women's content.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Lori. Um, you know, I came from a more traditional high-tech world uh, in telecom hardware development and uh, for the cable industry, and I was in product management and product marketing. And, and like right at the bottom of the bust, I left my job and I started blogging for fun. And I had this, uh, what I call my peanut butter chocolate moment where I realized... <laughs> that blogs were an amazing communications tool and ultimately that meant they could be an amazing marketing tool. And so having never really planned to go into business for myself, I started consulting. I started helping helping companies start blogs and this was like in 2004. So it was super early for brands to be involved and and it really was before there was even social media. I mean there was blogs, And there was, you know, Yahoo groups and Tribe.net. But this was before Twitter, before Facebook was open to, you know, regular people, before any of these other social tools. And, um, you know, I just started helping companies. And it was a, you know, after the first year and a half or so of doing that, I met the two women who became my, ultimately my co-founders, Lisa Stone and Joy Desjardins. And, you know, right around... Early 2005, there was this conversation. The mainstream media was starting to pay attention to blogging, and all of the sources that they were citing were men. Um, And really, particularly white men. And so there began to be this conversation in the blogosphere about where were the women. And there was a lot of uh, theorizing that women weren't technical enough, that they weren't adopting this technology, that they didn't want to have online public debates with other people. And so when I met Lisa and Jory, we kind of knew that this was BS. We knew tons of women who were in this space. And so we just decided to, uh, that the way to address it was not to make a top 10 list on our blogs, you know, which is totally fine, but, but a way to bring women together uh, and talk about all the same topics any other tech or blogging conference would talk about, but have all the experts be women. And it was really... It was a project. It wasn't a company at that point. We just did it as a labor of love.
2: And were, were any of you um, experienced writers at the time? I mean, were you professional writers so that this was natural to you to sort of explore content at this level? Well, so Lisa was a journalist and had worked at the Oakland Tribune and at
3: CNN and had been the editor-in-chief of women.com. Jory was in the publishing business and it started in traditional print publishing and then had come out to San Francisco to, to be, you know, she was part of the dot-com era there on the content side. I had always written as part of my job as a marketer, but blogging kind of unleashed this more... Individualized, you know, idiosyncratic personal voice that I hadn't really exercised. So I was perhaps the least writerly of the three of us, but maybe the most uh, relatable to um, to women who found that they had this passion and skill at writing that they they maybe hadn't known they had before. Um, so we had this first conference, and it was sold out. It was a big success. And then we sat down and said, oh, you know what? I think there's a company here, and I think there's an opportunity here, not just for us, but for all of these women who are so impassioned.
2: And so the con- the co- I didn't realize the conference came before the company. It did. Um, and I can't remember if I went to the first one or if it was subsequent ones. But, um, I, I mean, it was. how many people were at that first one?
3: So the very first one, we were at the Tech Mart in Santa Clara and it held about 300 people and we sold that to that number. And just very, by the second year, we doubled our size and, and we continued to grow really significantly. Um you know, and this this year in Los Angeles will be, uh, we expect at least 3,000 people right. and so it's, it's grown quite a bit and it's also diversified quite a bit I mean, that's the thing is that people, there's so many tools to use online now, there's so many things you have to try and stand on top of and there's an ecosystem that didn't exist at first of brands and marketers and media, traditional media and new media and still all of these great individual content creators and it's it's really uh, an ecosystem that didn't exist back in 2005.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how much it's grown. And when do you think the turn happened where all of a sudden brands said, oh, my God, this is, um, these are a group of influencers. We want to start figuring out how to monetize around this content. Well, smart brands
3: figured it out by our second year. In 2006, we went from having just tech companies as sponsors to having consumer brands. And in 2006, we launched our first publishing network, um, which aggregated all of these individual content creators together to achieve greater reach across which to target for the, the audience that you wanted. And that was partially in response to demand from um, companies that wanted to reach these women, so really smart brands were cognizant of this from very early, from 2006. But I think it rolled through the verticals, um, you know, slowly. As and some verticals had a lot more resistance and a lot more to be to give them fair uh, credit, a lot more regulatory issues and a lot more concerns because they're kind of verticals they were. Um, but there were people that were really hip to it. From two thousand and six
2: on, and then when did this concept of the mommy blogger become identified? Which I don't know—is that still cool to say, or have have we moved away from that?
3: I'm not sure it was ever really that cool to say. (laughs) (laughs) We had our first at the very first conference in two thousand and five. We had this concept of a room of your own um, track where people could sign up to talk about the topics they wanted to talk about, and I remember Lisa Stone, my Co-founder saying, "You know this mommy blogging thing is going to be big. We ought to have a room of your own about mommy blogging." And so I actually just went down the list of registrants and found three women who who clearly had parenting blogs, and I asked them to just lead this session. And it turned out to be packed. People, they you know, had to keep the door open and people spilled out into the hallway. And at the very, at the closing um, sort of regroup of the conference, Alice Bradley from the blog Fin Slippy stood up and said, you know, I've realized that mommy blogging is a radical act because never before has this thing that so many women do um, have we ever shown a light on on the realities of it from every perspective and from the highs to the lows and owned our stories and shared our stories in this way. Um, and so mommy blogging was a thing in 2005. By 2006, they really came into their power. They submitted tons of sessions. They showed up in force. Uh, and they really were interested in... How to um, you know how to monetize, how to build audience, and how to really make the most of this channel that they had found. Um, I think that now it became a little it became a little constraining in that they wanted to say, well, look, I'm not just a mommy, and I think there were people who used the term mommy
2: blogger. In a kind of snarky way, and um, right, sort so of I, some some misogyny yeah. wrapped wrapped into it. Um, even though it was a viable business demographic yeah. in a way.
3: So I think the word was never completely embraced, and I think it's it's not really that used anymore. And I think also. what we realize is that mommy bloggers aren't mommy bloggers. They're bloggers who are writing about their lives. And at one point in their lives, writing about their small children is dominant because that's what's sort of dominating their attention. But you can't can't actually do that forever. And as your kids get older, it totally changes the dynamic. And so parenting bloggers evolve almost always. They evolve um, their content to match their life. And it's really just life blogging. And it's really just today's... You know, Irma Bombeck
2: and um, Andy Rooney, I suppose. (laughs) And you guys had to then um, build a technology platform to connect all the dots. You you spoke about your network. So you had to actually create some technology that would optimize, find all these blogs, and then be able to what we now call programmatically, um, you know, connect advertisers to that content, correct? So you were kind of ahead of programmatic as well. Well, it was it was a core to our business at first that everyone
3: could keep their blog on their own platform and that we had a ad tech ad serving technology that was agnostic. And in fact, our website was built on an open source um, platform Drupal. So at first, we were it was core to our business that we reduced the cost of trying to be a unifying platform and just used um, ad serving technology to reach people across every platform where they already were. Over time, we did develop our proprietary back end for content and campaign management because we realized that what we were using on the back end just to track campaigns for ourselves really should be productized, really should be, um, you know, expanded and became a proprietary um, and, and significant contributor to our value to have this this technology that tracked what was happening that managed all the content and that was able to give not only results in the you know after campaigns happened but be able to make predictive insights about how we should build a campaign to
2: achieve desired results and and that is really what any brand who's spending money in this space wants to know well we're going to take a break but when we come back i want to talk a little bit about um, well, since since um, launching the company, um, you've been acquired by She Knows, so I'd love to hear about that. Yes. And then also just some of your insights around content marketing, because everyone is trying to understand what is the opportunity in content marketing how, how do we leverage it what talent do you need how do you operationalize it and 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 of course i want to hear all the scooby on the upcoming BlogHer conference as well so we'll be back in a moment with the fabulous alisa camahort page the wonderful uh one of the founders of BlogHer, and now she knows and we'll be back to dig into more on content marketing
1: From strategy to execution, the answer is story tech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com.
5: Do you find yourself working tirelessly to keep your business going? Are you finding out that you don't have time for family, friends, any kind of personal life whatsoever? It's time to stop feeling trapped by your business.
4: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv.
2: Hi, everyone. And we're back with the fabulous Elisa Camelhart-Page, Well, I'm actually calling the content officer because Lisa is one of those Vanguard individuals who really established a marketplace for content um, way before anyone else had with her, her business, BlogHer. So what is the status of BlogHer right now? Because I know you're, you've been since acquired by Shino. So tell, tell us about that. That's very exciting. Yeah,
3: so towards the end of 2014, we became part of the SheKnows Media family. SheKnows has their own flagship site, SheKnows.com. They also acquired earlier in that year Stylecaster, which is sort of a fashion and beauty um, millennial focus site. And um, we spent 2015 really doing the work of integration. And what was great about that was that um, it really was true that we shared a founding mission and purpose about women inspiring women, about creating opportunities for women and really wanting to be purpose driven. And what was also great about the deal was that we filled in each other's blanks really nicely. So we were so focused on the distributed network, building community and conversation and two things that we never really invested. And, and of course, developing our backend platform that I was talking about, two things we didn't really invest in was having a beautiful destination site of our own. Um, we had a very crunchy granola, awesome, and still do. blogger.com. dot com, but it um, it was built on Drupal, and it was you know it was we didn't focus a lot of resources on beautifying that, and we also weren't building video capabilities that could sort of be standalone. In other words, everything sort of was enabled by sponsorship that we did in video. Meanwhile, she knows has some amazing. Destination sites with really um, great traffic, great design, and they have video talent and facilities and production capabilities. So, uh, together, we sort of create this mega women's lifestyle site, and we are indeed the top lifestyle site uh, network for women, um, that can do it all content-wise, that can do it all across every channel, that can have both great owned and operated sites and great distributed opportunities, Um, and it really, the the sum of the whole was so much more powerful, and so I am now the chief community officer for She Knows Media, and I'm really focused on evangelizing our great purpose-driven initiatives to our community, but also using research and insights to evangelize why our community of influencers online is still the most powerful place to bring your message, the most powerful place to launch a product or service, and, and, and really they're the women who can make something happen.
2: So can you give us an example of something that a brand did um, with Blogger She Knows as an example of partnering with an influencer?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we do a lot of things that are, uh, I naturally kind of gravitate towards the ones that are fun and have a lot of personality. But we had a brand that did a cooking contest with, they had a new um, recipe ingredient, kind of a broth mix coming out. And so there was... Uh, ahead of time we did sampling to several hundred of our network members they picked finalists they brought them to our conference we had a live cook-off with a celebrity chef at the conference and then they took the winner and a few of the finalists and made them ambassadors for an extended period of time after the conference so you've got video content that was created from the live cook-off you've got digital ambassadors you've got digital media you've got sampling you've got got a combination of so many aspects of what you can do um and it's not only online but it's bringing it to life at the conference and that brings a great opportunity to to just be really i hate the term but you know 360 degrees on what your experience that you're delivering for your prospective customer
2: now, are brands much smarter about how to work with an organization like yours? Um, or are you still finding that a lot of what you guys have to do is education? Well, I think in general, brands are way smarter about social media and
3: online media. I think they've gotten smarter about Um, communicating with women and particularly women influencers. But I think they still absolutely need like a consultative approach to what they're doing because there's nuance and it's hard to, I think we're used to thinking as marketers in, um, in very much in demographic slices and dices, and yes, we have some behavioral stuff that we're used to thinking about, but that um, doesn't always get to the psychological uh, impact of what you're doing, especially when you're dealing with this very empowered group of consumers. So there's still a whole lot of consulting that goes into it, but by and large, people are are coming with way better um, approaches when we first meet with them, for sure.
2: And are you... Um... You know, I mean, this whole space fascinates me so much because I remember when this was all happening and I remember thinking, well, should I become, you know, an influencer? And you don't just become an influencer. Like, what have you noticed about those influencers that do seem to build a, a network really quickly and a big community really quickly that a brand would want to surround?
3: Well, I think we've been doing research on social media and the Rubik's Cube of influence, trust, and action you know what causes people to act what causes people to trust you what gives you influence we've been doing research like this since 2008 and I think there's something really interesting to note is that the majority of bloggers and influencers are still doing it because they are expressing themselves because they have something they really want to say now the majority of readers that's evolved over the years. There's become a much more drive to, with so many different information sources, there's a much bigger drive, hey, I want information, I want something that's useful, or I want something that's going to do something for me. And and by the way, being entertained is useful. Like, we all sometimes just want to go visit that person who makes me laugh or goes look at that silly kitty kitten video, right? But And so you say, okay, well, how do these come up, how do these match together? The blogger just wants to express themselves, the reader wants useful information, But it is the expression of oneself that creates a frame around all your content that makes people feel like they know you. They know you because you tell them all about your life and therefore they feel like you're an actual friend and then they trust you. So when you do write something that is from your personal experience about a product, a service, a candidate, you know, a movie you saw, whatever it might be. Your words have a greater impact because you are known and you are. So that's really the sweet spot of content is to be useful, yes, but be human. And then you become this repeatable go-to resource. And then lastly, of course, there's the ethos of reciprocity that the blogosphere was kind of founded on. And it still really works the best if you ask yourself what's in it for my audience, what's in it for my reader, like what, what am I giving back? When people ask me how do I build my audience, I say, well, who are you an audience for and how do I build my engagement? I'm like, who do you engage with? We, we can't, just because we have the tools doesn't mean we should return to a kind of broadcast mechanism for communication.
2: You know, that's a really great point. I mean, when I think about, some of these influencers that have really risen—I mean, one of the first um, ones that comes to mind for me is the Pioneer Woman, uh-huh. um, Reed Drummond. Have you ever worked directly with her?
3: Oh yeah, she's in our network, and um, she—she's
2: she, built an empire. I mean, she's on the Food Network, and she's got books, and she's opening a store, and all sorts of madness.
3: She—well, from the beginning, she is very you feel relatable to her. She talks about a lot of different things. I mean, it all, she became centered through the Food Network on food and, and therefore did her cookbooks and everything. But on her blog, she would talk about her kids. She would talk about food. She would talk about the ranch. She would talk about photography. She was sort of, she let you in on all of her life. And also, she still to this day does little giveaways and
2: things that she just funds with her own money. You know, Oops. Um, I actually was just looking at a, a video of hers while you were talking because she is, a, she is like literally one of the um, s- sort of the original influencers that I personally have just followed. And I've been amazed at, to your point, how she's leveraged all the different technology platforms in a really smart way, Um you know online
3: she has she does something for her readers she does she there's value there she created a whole little online community where they could talk to each other and it's moderated by her sister she lets them have a window into her life now you know she does all the things that sort of say I'm someone you can know even as she's grown so big that obviously we can't all know her but um and then and then when you meet her in person and when you work with her in person she's incredibly gracious that's her personal brand that she is as gracious in real life as she seems to be online and that's why she translated so well to tv because that's how she is
2: really 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 present so it's it's uh, a number of things that kind of comes together in um, in a perfect storm Mm. Um, and what about the you know for a little while there there was some controversy around, um, you know, women recommending products and brands when they were being paid to do so, and not saying that they were being paid to do so. Which spills into this whole native advertising area, which is this idea of it's content, but it's also a sponsored post.
3: Um, well, I, I'm not a particular fan of the term native advertising because to me, it's just trying to put a, you know, it's trying to put lipstick on something we always had, which was advertorial. And, you know, we had from the very beginning really strong guidelines around disclosure and um, ethics around what you could publish. So when the FTC finally came out with their guidelines, ours were actually even more extreme and stronger than the ones they came out with. Um, So we never really had a problem because of that. It absolutely is necessary if you're going to maintain trust You have to disclose. There was this story, I tell it all the time, because long ago there was a couple who said they were going to take their RV and go travel across the country and park in the parking lots of Walmart. Because Walmart allows people to spend the night in their parking lot. And they pretended that they were just this couple. Well, it turns out Walmart had hired them and they were a journalist couple. And the thing is, if they had just... If they had just admitted that, I think people would have been fascinated by their story. But the fact that people felt lied to was the
2: problem. Right, and that full disclosure is really important. Well, we're going to be back in a moment with our fabulous content officer, Elisa, and talk a little bit more about maybe some of the research and insights that you're, you have access to in doing all of this um great work that you're doing and a little bit more too on on the upcoming BlogHer conference um, which as you mentioned is growing so much. So we'll be back in a moment with the Tech Cat and the content officer Elisa Kamahart page
4: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com
5: you have a message you want to share that message you want it to be social to go viral and spread across the planet but how do you get started tune into amplify featuring host ken roshan and co-host gisela gonzalez this show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful but have a positive impact on the world Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel and get amplified.
4: Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes, How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv.
2: Hi, everybody, and we are back with the fabulous Elisa Camhart-Page, who is our content officer. Elisa builds all the communities for blog her and she knows, and she's been just an active force in content marketing um, for a long time, one of the first. So I was going to ask you, you know, you're sitting on top of all this great research that you've been doing for a long time about online behavior around this content. And I was wondering if you could share with us some insights that you've garnered over the years, and even most recently.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the key things to note is that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, back when we started, there really wasn't much more than blogging. And now, of course, there's an explosion of services and platforms that you can be on. And people often think, they gotta be everywhere all the time. And I do think you should reserve your brand everywhere all the time. I mean, that's fine. But I think it's okay to think about the purpose, the guiding purpose of these services. Surfaces. Services. They are not all the same. It is not monolithic, and they all serve a different purpose, really, for the people who use them actively. So for instance, Facebook has become absolutely ubiquitous. The vast majority of people use Facebook at some point to the point where users really consider it a utility. It is the mechanism by which they communicate like your phone. In fact, most people would probably rather communicate on Facebook than talk to you on the phone. And... Therefore, it's not really vertically oriented. It's you know, It depends on what the person's interested in, but they're probably going to be communicating at some point via Facebook. And it's really a place for friends and family. So we are very much using Facebook as a mechanism to stay in touch. And that's great. And you should really think about that when you're thinking about your own engagement. Like how do you, if you come in with a heavy cell, you're not matching the environment for most people. Uh, so that's something to think about with Facebook. Twitter, on the other hand, has had many an identity crisis over the years. And I think for now, Twitter's primary purpose for the people who use it actively is as a a breaking news, real-time source. And that can be around hard news, like think about hashtag Ferguson, or it can be and is often around soft news like hashtag scandal. So this is where people come to see what's happening right now. It is not so much anymore a place, it used to be a place for cocktail conversation and sort of having relationships. And it's it's really not that anymore. It still serves a customer service element, so you should be supporting your customers on Twitter. But it's not really a place to, like, relate to them uh, in, in any kind of extended way. And then you've got something like Pinterest. And Pinterest is for all intents and purposes, a place that people go to window shop, particularly things around their home, anything that kind of goes within the walls of your house. Um, They have tried to break out into being interesting for other verticals and, and really that's where they are. And one of the things they're trying to do better is help you shop instead of window shop. So that's good. They're trying to work on their commerce solutions, but They haven't really nailed it yet, so people still primarily window shop on Pinterest. Um, But if you're not something that goes within the home, food or fashion or beauty or organization or anything that's sort of about inside your four walls, I don't know if you need to be on Pinterest on any kind of regular basis. Uh, I, I don't see it as being hugely serviceable. So that's the kind of stuff that we look at.
2: What about some of the um short form content platforms now that are taking millennials by storm? Are you guys also analyzing them? I mean, it changes all the time, but obviously yeah. there was a lot of chatter about Snapchat and its role for the Super Bowl, um Vine, you know, um you mentioned Pinterest, um Instagram, all all these other newer platforms. How do you keep track of what's going on with all those?
3: For sure, Instagram is the place where um, millennials and younger than thirty-five, and and the other thing that's interesting about Instagram is it's very interest-based community. So it's the one place where you use hashtags, and you can really build your community around hashtags. Uh, you can use seven or eight or nine hashtags in a post, and that's perfectly fine, and it will actually build your community. And pe- Whereas Facebook is community built around identity, Instagram is community built around interest, interests. Periscope is another one I would really think about, especially because it became part of Twitter. It's very, very simple to use. It's very much getting people to experiment with live video and then saving that video in a way that previous tools really hadn't taken off with people. So Periscope, I think, is super important. Um, I'm just going to admit that like Snapchat is, I know it's like this next big thing, and it is the thing I struggle to get my head around the most. Um, and there, I mean, I've had that with every tool. At first, I was like, I totally don't get Twitter. I was, I was user ten thousand. I signed up. <laughs> I signed up really early, but that doesn't mean I got it. Like, I was like, why is everybody here at Instagram? I totally was like, if I want to take a picture and put it on Twitter, I could just do that in Twitter. What do I need these filters for? I didn't get what the you know, the interspace community aspect of it, which is really what makes it what it is. And so I'm expecting to have a similar revelation about Snapchat and Snapchat and why it's so awesome. I'm still waiting. I'm waiting for the Epiphany. <laughs> Do you I
2: have think, an epiphany well I, I just think it's um it's hard to judge because we're not using it in our regular life because none of our colleagues in our demographic are using it. So we even if you try and log on and play with it, you're not really using it. And, and so that's the challenge is that until our community is on it, we won't organically use it. However, I do get, um, you know, posts um, and I hear chatter from my um, stepkids who are, you know, 19 and 21 and they live on it. And for them, it's all about creating something that will create engagement for their friends yeah. You know, um, it's, it's a normal, unique and, um, sort of, um, daily occurrence for them, hourly daily occurrence for them. So it, it's hard to wrap your head around it. I, I'm, I am enjoying watching brands dance around it, um, and try and figure out how to leverage it. They've been very clear about saying, we're not going to do branded entertainment stories. It's too confusing to the user. Mm-hmm. They may change their tune like they all seem to do, um. But it's just really, it's just really interesting because I, I would suppose that one of the benefits of sitting where you're sitting and having all this great research is that brands are coming to you and asking for insights. Yes, right? you know, um, and and that's part of your knowledge set. Is you you've worked with every business category there is, so you really understand what platforms resonate the most.
3: Yeah, I mean, the, definitely, people are trying not only to keep on top of. What's new? Because every year there are new platforms we track. But the fact is that these platforms that have been around change. Twitter has evolved three different times as to how it was most useful to use. Facebook um, wasn't always considered a utility for every potential kind of conversation. So the way that we, and Pinterest, you used to, the biggest frustration with Pinterest used to be you click on you tap on something and to buy it and it was always out of stock or ten years old or something you couldn't get and now they've added a commerce and so these these tools evolve themselves it's not just that new tools come on the scene it's that these old tools and it's hilarious to think of things like Pinterest and Facebook and Twitter as being old but in this <laughs> world they are um, they evolve and the best practices for using them therefore evolves too
2: and do you think that um- Facebook, because the numbers are showing that millennials are not on Facebook, do you think um, that's going to change when they age up?
3: Yes. Um, you think that's going to happen? I absolutely think that people use different tools for different stages of life. Um, this is the same with blogging, right? There used to be, when blogging was the only thing there was, that all generations used blogging pretty, pretty consistently. And the joke was, I don't want to read your blog. I don't care what you had for lunch. And <laughs> as new tools evolved... You know, the place to share stupid little things like what you had for lunch. by the way, we all care very much about what we eat. I mean, everybody talks about what they eat all the time. Um you know so there were new tools that were better for that kind of short form you know whether it was instagram or twitter or whatever it was so blogs became more of a place that substantive conversation happened and it it's always true that the youngest generation is not using it but as they age three things happen or can happen you either start a family and you begin to want to share your experience as a parent or you get more into your career, and you want to establish yourself as a thought leader, or you find a cause you really believe in, and you start to want to activate around what you believe in. And for those things, you are going to find that Blogs are a place to write substantive content that can become your little place on the web, your your centralized platform. And you're going to find that Facebook is the place where if your friends and family are there and you really want to share your kid's picture or you really want to let them know about this fundraiser you're doing, you're going to go where the people are.
2: Now, um- those are all such great points. Now, how much blogging are you yourself doing? because I keep up with some of the stuff that you post on blog her, um like all the announcements um, about the conference. you guys have um, Sarah Michelle Geller mm-hmm. noting, which um, I'm not like a huge um, buffy fan, but I know a lot of my friends are so excited because she's gonna be there. Um how much writing and and posting are you doing? And you know, is she a big blogger? Is that why she's there? So we have both Mayim
3: Bialik confirmed for one day's keynote and Sarah Michelle Gellar for another. No, Sarah's an entrepreneur. She, uh, after years of being an iconic actress, and I am a huge Buffy fan. I mean, I'm. this is like, of all the people I've met through this company, through doing this, like, she's the one I most have to be like, keep it's it so chill, great. keep it chill, <laughs> keep it chill. Um, like, I could sit there and start to quote episodes at her, and it would be a really bad scene. Um, anyway... Uh, she started her own business with two other women. So, of course, I relate to the three women co-founders. But, um, you know, a lot of women who are in Hollywood particularly are doing this kind of thing because they want to control their own destiny more. Um, so she's, uh, we were really talking to her about her entrepreneurial journey more than anything. And then Maya Bialik, of course, is a huge advocate. Um, she's a neuroscientist herself. She doesn't just play one on TV. <laughs> and she's a huge advocate for girls in STEM. Um, she's also just a really super interesting person, has her own website where she explores a lot of different topics. So she's maybe more traditionally like a blogger. Um, but for many years now, we've been talking to people who are just content creators, movement makers, change makers. It's not just about, um, you know, sure we've had Reed Drummond and Jenny Lawson and other people who are bloggers made good, you know, who became big, big celebrities but a lot of times we're talking to other folks who um are just huge media makers and change makers and content creators
2: well i I love um all all of your choices i love maya bialik too because i love when she talks about um all the different prejudices that have she's struggled with in hollywood and how she just ignores them yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's very very powerful conversations now are you someone though yourself that is writing every day Publishing.
3: So, You know, like you said, I write announcements on Blogger frequently. I actually find that I'm writing more when I'm writing and it pains me to say it on Facebook. I'm uh, you know, I haven't had time to blog like I used to for a long time. I, I sort of say that I use up all my blogging time helping bloggers. Um, and, um, but I do find every now and then I go on a little rant. I went on one uh, on Monday. It was, it was just a Monday. And I was like, let me tell you all the things that are bugging me today. <laughs> and it turned out to be probably 500 words on all the things that were making me cranky. So I should have put that in a blog post for sure.
2: Well, we're going to hear a little bit more from Elisa when we come back um, on where she's going to be focused next, more on the blog, her conference, and maybe some of her favorite uh, technology that she has in her home when we come back on the Tech Cat Show.
1: Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com.
4: Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization,
2: Hello, and we're back with the fabulous Elisa Kamahor Page talking about Blog Her and She Knows and um, some insights around content marketing. So, great uh, dropping great insights about strategy for leveraging social media platforms. So, my question to you, Elisa, is what do you have at home in terms of the latest technology? As someone who's you know, really at the forefront of content marketing and new models, are you someone that's also a gadget girl yourself?
3: Yes, I do like things. We have the new Apple TV, which is very cool. Um, I have, I love my Apple Watch, um, which I got for my birthday last year. I really like it. It does everything that the Google Glass team told me the Google Glass would do. The Apple Watch actually does. So, um, and then I all I asked for for Christmas was a drone. So I have <laughs> I have a little teeny parrot drone. It's very small. I think it's too small to register. And I haven't, honestly, I haven't played with it that much because I don't know why I wanted a drone. I just super wanted one. And um, and it, its battery life is like literally five minutes. So it's it's kind of frustrating, if I'm being honest. A couple of times, like one time I brought it somewhere to play with it with my nieces and nephews and it the battery had drained. And another time, you know, I played with it for a few minutes. And I was just starting to get the hang of it and it was out of battery. So uh, I think obviously that just means I need a bigger drone with better battery life. I think that's the message.
2: I think um, I think you're right. I think um, anytime you buy a new toy, you're always the one that's learning the, the limitations of, of that yes. technology. Do you feel like because you are sort of on the cutting edge of a digital space that you have to have a sense of what all this new stuff is about?
3: Well, I feel
2: that way about Social
3: media. I mean, I definitely feel like I need to have an answer. I need to understand. I don't know if I feel that way always with gadgets specifically, although I did just get last week a cardboard, you know, to stick my phone in and do some virtual, like look at some virtual reality. So I still have to play with that because I was excited to get that. And I feel like it's like we're probably we're talking about having a session this year at BlogHer 16 about augmented and virtual reality and whether that kind of content creation is something that should go more mainstream. I mean, should bloggers be creating? content for someone's cardboard for looking at, you know, the world that way. We're talking to them about video and podcasting and all the live broadcasting. So is that the next step? I don't know. Um, When it comes to social, for sure. Gadgets, it's more just uh, I'm a a geek sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I bet you, um, at least this happened to me when I was living inside of the agency where people would walk in and just say, what do I do about this? What do I do about that? (laughs) Because there was always something new launching so Facebook just launched their streaming video process is that something people are talking to you about
3: yeah so I have not used it yet I um I have I have played around uh with the uh, Periscope I have played around with using whether it's Hangouts on Air or iMovie to create videos to share directly to social platforms I have learned enough that facebook sharing a youtube link on facebook is like sending it to the graveyard no one will ever see it um so i'm looking for these other tools and facebook clearly wants to own they want to they don't just want to be a utility they like want to be the web for you and I'm, i'm not sure i'm down for that but um definitely gotta play around with live streaming on facebook now that everybody can do it
2: it's funny. I, did you watch the uh, Chinese New Year video from um, Mark Zuckerberg? Um,
3: yes. I, you know, I have to say I'm a little upset at his daughter because she is totally making me like Mark
2: Zuckerberg. She is um, adorable. But I, w- I was actually impressed with um, with his Chinese. And I'm also impressed with how, again, as a trend, the Chinese culture and these things, because they're such a superpower in themselves, have have now become sort of mainstream mm. um, America too. So bloggers coming up in, in August, correct? So what should we expect to see there? What are some of the bubbling up themes that we'll be privy to?
3: Well, it's August 4th through 6th in Los Angeles. And uh, in addition to the big keynotes that we already talked about, we always have a ton of Uh, breakout programming that's really designed on up-leveling your skills Um, but also we always have a place for talking about things like politics and social good and using your platform for good Uh, especially in an election year I think um, you know everybody wants to really know about how to have a heated political conversation and not lose all your friends Um, I always say sometimes political seasons are the best time to cull the herd you know and find out who doesn't really need to be on your Facebook wall but we will have have a lot of information it's you know for blogger serves a lot of different purposes for a lot of different people it's definitely a place you come to learn and to network and that networking is something that people don't always know a lot of business gets done uh, at Blocker, people find their book agents there. People find new sponsors or you know partnerships there. People start new websites together because they met there. So there's a lot of business that get, that gets done. But there's also just a lot of tribe building and kind of a reinvigoration every year. Uh, the tribe that can happen in an in-person environment where you're sort of seriously learning all day and then you're letting loose a little bit at night and and, and having fun. Um, and it's really just like you're in this little block or cocoon for a weekend with
2: a lot of shiny, happy people. It's amazing, um, you know, how big the show has grown. I mean, that intimacy that you were talking about, 3,000 of your closest friends who are all interested in that in this show for different reasons and now you're also launching um or or have launched another vertical in your event space and, and blogger food can you tell us about that
3: yeah so blogger food is october 7th and 8th and we're going back to austin texas which is just a great if you've never been to austin not during south by southwest you should totally go it's like an entirely different city um and so it's a it's great that when we move the food conference around the country you really get so much of a sense of different cultures and different um, personalities of these cities it's really fun and austin just is a great great city so um we haven't really started working on the program for that yet but um we do know it'll be in austin and that there will probably be barbecue
2: (laughs) and is is the food vertical a big content space now i mean obviously I know the Food Network and, and grocery delivery and food delivery and all of this is a you know, completely new cultural phenomenon, um, but is, is food porn and, and all of this about food becoming a, a huge thing as well? Absolutely. Food is our number one content vertical and has
3: been for a while, and for a lot of media companies, food drives a lot of interest, and there's really one very good, two really good reasons. One is that everybody eats you got <laughs> to eat. Some of us more than others. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the second reason is because we have become a culture that somewhat self-identifies by how we eat. So when you meet people, it's surprising how often you will find out something about how they eat, whether they're a vegan like me or whether they're gluten-free or whether they're paleo or whether they're locavore or whether they're or- very into organics. We identify it's part of our identity our method of eating and so that's why there's so much fodder for so many unique spins and perspective on food for bloggers no no what what's a locavore oh that's someone who wants to eat only food that was you know, grown or or cultivated within whatever, a
2: hundred miles, two hundred miles, oh, whatever. I love that. That's right. Yeah. There is a big local local movement now as well. Now, where can we find you? When you're, po- where are you posting? Where are you tweeting from? Um, tell tell us all your uh, different um, hashes. Okay, so on Twitter,
3: I'm at at Alisa c. On Instagram, I'm at Alisa cp. Uh, you can also find me at blogher.com. I'm always around there, but probably mostly Twitter and Instagram if you want to just get a quick window into where I'm at.
2: And, and again the Blogger conference will be happening in August so you can go to com and, and also com yep. to, to find out more and yep. to learn more about the, the fabulous Blogger food conference which I'm intrigued about mm-hmm. that one and then um, just um, for more insights on what's really happening in content marketing and social media platforms I mean Elisa is a bundle of information and continuously doing new research all the time yeah. um, so 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 check her out. and Reach out to her if you want more information on that. Um, um, You truly are my content officer. It's been a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much from the Tech Cat.
3: Thanks, Lori. Great talking to you.
2: Everyone check out Elisa. Bye, everybody. Talk to you next week.